Welcome everyone to Discrypto. My name is Vanessa. We've got a great show today talking all about stablecoins, a new stablecoin I hadn't heard of before this called USD Pro. And we'll, we'll dig into all the details. I think this last week has definitely been uh, the week of the stablecoin uh, been in the news a little bit. So I think this is a very timely conversation. Um, I'm blessed to be uh, joined here by two wonderful folks, uh, Hamza and Alex, who are the co-founders of Stable Unit DAO. Uh, Hamza, Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, uh, Vanessa, for inviting us. Just a small clarification, uh, Alex is founder, I'm head of marketing. I joined the team early uh, in the beginning of the journey. So I lived a huge part of the journey while building this stablecoin. Okay, um, brilliant, brilliant. Uh, thank you. Um, and, you know, as we always do uh, uh, with uh, with the show, just to let you know that this is not for investment advice at all. So none of the conversation is advising you to, to go and invest in any of this strictly for education, for entertainment. Use this as an opportunity to learn rather than FOMO. Um, one of the things we love to do here is just get to know people a little bit better. Uh, so Alex, mm -hmm. if you could share your journey into crypto, into uh, you know what led you into crypto and then what led you to actually starting a crypto company? Oh, you mean like personal story? Yeah, your personal story. Let people know who you are. Oh, wow. Well, uh, I myself came from Russia and like uh, historical reasons, it's happens what, during my short lifetime, at least twice in a uh, history and like uh, at least five times in the last century or so, the Russian money became worthless. Essentially, like you work very hard you do the best to, you know, provide for your family, you do little savings, and people who you're not really elected do something wrong and all your savings are gone. So this is kind of a state of life for, like, a lot of people, and Russia is not really unique. I, like, you can Google my name and, like, research about, like, how fiat coin are not really reliable currency either. And according to this research, like, about half of world currency are essentially not really reliable means of saving in the long term. Like, even dollar itself, while being the default currency for, you know, finance around the globe, uh, you know, have a very uh, strong property of being inflationary currency. So it just lose value over time. And it sounds like, ah, you know, 10%, not a big deal, 2%, not a big deal. But it's compounding. It's like every year in a span of like 20 years, like and more, it just became like noticeably, noticeably like, less uh, powerful as a, as, as a mean of savings. And the problem is for majority of people, like even the United States, which is like super rich country, uh, I, I would like, uh, I might be wrong in exact statistics, but about give or take like half of the people live from paycheck to paycheck. So it, it, it's, it's a big problem that people are just unable to save, unable to accumulate with wealth in anywhere like uh, in the money. And it shouldn't be that way. Where there's no like fundamental law of universe which says you know money have to be such you know uh, uh medium we just lose the value continuously otherwise it just wouldn't able to you know bootstrap economy all stuff where, where is no like fundamental reasons to do that and uh a part of this i have a very bad luck with uh, banking systems so like at least at least uh, five occasions actually six uh, arguably six occasions when bank um you know lose my money and just mistreat my money as i did not expect it and it's, it's, it's like, it's really bad situation where you cannot really trust bank, but you're kind of legally obligated to use them. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to pay taxes. You wouldn't be able to use a credit card. Without credit card, you cannot pay your bills. You cannot rent a car. You know, a lot of things. We kind of like, as a, as a society right now, somehow turn in the wrong corner, you know, and we end up with monetary system, which does not really have, in, like, it is not really aligned 
in fundamentally with like a desire of majority of people. So it's yeah. something that really pushed me into the cryptocurrency as I mentioned the majority of people. And if I could say that, you know, I, I got lucky to kind of like introduce to Bitcoin in 2011. I wasn't that smart to actually speculate a lot because I sold like in <laughs> way before I just like uh, shoot to the moon and joined the uh, space full time in 2017. Like I dropped from, uh, I was to be engineer at Amazon. So I just like uh, dropped uh, to, to work in a blockchain for, for full time. But uh, before uh, 2022, I, I was like, you know, like an answer, like how I deeply I'm involved in a cryptocurrency, an answer what I keep like 99.5 of my life savings in a cryptocurrency and like only half percent of my money in a last mile in, 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 in a bank. But right now I keep 100% of my money in a cryptocurrency, like nothing in a bank because like uh, by my citizenship, uh, my credit card, debit card, they all became worthless piece of plastic. Like so, like I cannot go back in Russia. Like outside of Russia, my like debit card is just worthless. I can I don't know cut sausages with that, but that's it. <laughs> if I put it at ATM, it just that doesn't work. Like if I try to pay, it doesn't work. So like the whole country get like cut uh, from uh, rest of the world. Like financially speaking, I mean for for a reason because a crazy dictator. But for on a, on a personal level, like how, how people can survive, you know, like yeah. you cannot be in Russia because you don't want to support this regime. But outside of Russia, you do not have a means even to like. Uh, use your, your cards because like as a foreigner like in the united states for example like legally i cannot open a card so there are a lot a lot of these problems that a lot of people in this planet face and i believe that blockchain ultimately able to resolve it eventually the biggest really problem with blockchain is not even problem with blockchain itself it's the regulations which are kind of vault garden like for a status quo of banking system in the sense that yeah, they have a better, a good intentions to have these uh, regulations about KYC, email, whatsoever. But as right now, I mean, where, where is the scrutiny about that uh, Swiss bank, I think we call it? I don't remember, maybe the name is slightly different, but you, you, you name it. Like, uh, it's uh, if you just from a public public media, from, from a news, you learn about like billions of dollars were laundered and like, you know, like misplaced by the current bank system. And like, uh, in the same time, regulators say, you know what, crypto is a, is a new evil, you know. <laughs> uh, blockchain solutions are really like, you know, uh, a threat for fabric of our society or whatsoever. But in reality, like banking system quite successfully for, for a decade, were able to like support all these like a bad use cases or money laundry and like, uh, you know, uh, you know, as, as, as a mean for, uh, you know, some illegal activities. It's stuff like that. And we just, we know only like top scratch of it, what we can learn from the news. Like yeah. it's all blockchain. If all 100% of Bitcoins and assets on Ethereum were used in, in a kind of like in malicious uh, use cases, it would be still peanuts in comparison with current banking system. But banks say, you know what? We have a regulations in place. And these regulations really kind of does not really help anyone except protect banking system from innovation uh, fintech. So like if you have uh, like some, I don't know, like a very innovative um, company, which like able to democratize finance, which able to unbanked, uh, like bank unbanked people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's going to have in real world problems with exactly the same regulations, yeah. which were put in place kind of to protect against bad use cases. But in reality, it's just, you know, right now it's a, it's, it's kind of like very steep uh, slope for a new business to compete with legacy banking system. It's what, what I think. Uh, I, I just love the way that, that you're kind of thinking through, uh, you know, the solution to a problem that you've experienced personally. 
I think most of the folks who are watching this uh, haven't had their national currency collapse three times, haven't been cut off from the banking system. Uh, you know, at, at worst, we've had something like that happen to us, which is the dollar devaluing. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's one of the strongest currencies out there. Uh, you know, life is pretty stable. And I think just hearing you you talk about that really underscores the need for the, the conversations that we're having here to have, you know, a blockchain, uh, to have crypto as, as a means of, uh, of escape, as it were, from the systems. Um, Hamza, I'd love for, for you to share as well. Like, what was your journey look like? You know, Alex shared, you know, perhaps a, a pretty strong uh, a reason for getting involved in crypto, a very personal reason. Uh, how did you find crypto? Okay, for, for me, it's a very funny anecdote. And I still have, like, I, I still opened the forum post that started it all uh, from time to time. And it was late 2013, and I was just a kid. But I was playing a video game, and I couldn't pay with card. Like in Morocco, cards at the time were not something that everybody had, a Visa card to pay online. So I looked into other ways to pay online and I heard about Bitcoin. Fast forward to 2018, that's where I started to get interested by it. But I was living in Morocco where access to it was difficult. It was only when I came to France that... I got involved into crypto and I started researching projects, buying into ones like everybody else before <laughs> discovering stable unit. So the story with stable unit, uh, I was at my second year of university for my master's degree and I wanted to intern in crypto. And I had this opportunity given to me by the stable unit DAO. And after my internship, this became a full-time position my master's degree's thesis was about marketing the apps. So I was very much interested into what marketing can do for crypto. But not only that, I also felt connected to stable unit because I come from a developing country. And when we compare its currency with the dollar, it got crushed over the past few years. And it would have been better for anyone in my country to have access to the dollar. Although the dollar is also subject to inflation, um, my, uh, like the citizens of my country would have saved more money holding it. Yeah. So enabling a dollar on chain that nobody can take away from you is a mission that I believe in. And I think that through this, we will be able to have a great impact on the world. Awesome, no, that, thank you. And I also appreciate you know, you, your insight uh, in terms of like the, the value of the dollar, even though it is deflating, like for many countries, like the country that you came from, I have friends from Zimbabwe, uh, the, the, the dollar is a means of escape itself. Uh, and so having something that you can custody that someone can't take away, uh, extremely important. Um, I did want to pause quickly and, and just say uh, hi to everyone who's in chat. So if you are in chat, uh, we love to take comments and questions from the chat. Uh, if you're here, uh, drop a hi, let us know. Uh, pop a like onto the video as well. That's always helpful. I uh, want to say hi to Rayoshi Life. Uh, great to have you on, on the show here today. also want to say hi to Accelerate Profits. Uh, sunny Saturday. Uh, it feels like Sunday, but it is Saturday. Uh, welcome. Great to have you on the show here as well. Uh, so let's dive into to stable coins. And uh, Hamza, you were uh, talking a little bit about why stable coins are important, but perhaps uh, you could help us step back and understand like, what are what is the landscape of all the different kinds of stable coins um, that that are out there, and why did you all choose to go with the approach that you're taking uh, with uh, USD USD Pro? 
Perfect. So for the different types of stablecoins, there's obviously like depending on some people, like categorization may differ. But for me, we see uh, I see them as uh, crypto-backed stablecoins, fiat-backed stablecoins, and algorithmic stablecoin that rely on a certain mechanism to to keep the price. So the reason what, what we're building with USD Pro is a crypto-backed stablecoin. So by definition, it will be over collateralized with crypto that nobody can take away from you. So this is what makes it censorship resistant. Its collateral cannot be seized. And the problem with fiat backed stablecoins is that the banks can collapse or have problems. The banks can freeze the collateral and the issuer of the stablecoin can freeze the stablecoin wherever it is on chain and at any moment. So this is the problem, and this is something I'm totally against. That's why we're not building a centralized stablecoin. And for the algorithmic part, we've had, uh, I'm not dismissing the category, but we've had enough experiments using dual token model that failed. And I'm looking forward, obviously, to see new innovation in this. We obviously need stronger stablecoins. But for stable, coin, uh, for stable unit, we settled for over-collateralization which was popularized by MakerDAO and battle-tested for a year through the CDP model. So this was a choice because we prioritize stability. We want something that is resilient and that is the most resilient. So besides this over-collateralization, we have other things. I don't know if this is the moment to talk about it. But yeah, um, go ahead, go ahead. So we have also other peg protection mechanism. We call it internally a multi-layered stabilization mechanism, but it's other peg protection mechanisms that are on top of the over-collateralization. And Alex can go into the details of them. Furthermore, we also have a liquidation system that is innovative compared to what we currently have in the market. The leader right now is Aave with its fixed spread liquidation system. But we decided to innovate also on that using uh, something we call the asynchronous MEV resistant liquidation mechanism. So this is what we brought. And we brought that to make USD Pro the most resilient and to make any stablecoin we can make like USD Pro, Euro Pro, or any other currency uh, resilient and safe for anybody to use. This is the stability part. There is the yield part as well, but it is not like the biggest priority. It is something we're building. It is something we built, sorry. But the biggest priority we have is decentralization and stability. Obviously, I gave you like a, an index and I will let you choose <laughs> whatever part you would like to develop. Yeah, so let's start unpacking it. And I appreciate you giving kind of the lay of the land of, of everything that's out there. Uh, maybe we could start with, with a collateral. Uh, which types of collateral do, do you accept? Um, how does that, that mechanism work for providing that collateral and minting the, the stable coin? Kind of maybe focus on that part and then we can get to liquidations after. Mm -hmm. uh, and Alex, uh, I don't know if you want to talk through yeah, I, I can cover, but maybe like uh, before with a little bit zoom out, uh, the reason why Shiva DAO decided to do that, because like uh, pro project is run by like uh, hundreds of people and there are like uh, people who support it. Why? Uh, the reason is like the currently about 95% of like this moment of speaking, like on the 18th of March, give or take 95% of uh, stable coins by market cap are centralized in terms of like they can freeze 
any wallet as Hamza mentioned. But the problem is not only that. The problem is that the current kind of uh, solutions for this, like MakerDAO and Afrax, although very great projects by themselves, they highly depend on the collateral issuers like USDC. And if Circle, you know, would be uh, decisive to like pull them out of the system, they're going to collapse, unfortunately. And it's not really up to Circle to decide because we have to comply by a lot, a lot, a lot of different organizations and each and any of them have a leverage of them. And this is a problem. And another problem that even if you disregard the security of assets themselves, like although you know what stablecoin is a bedrock for whole DeFi, especially future DeFi, we speak right now, DeFi is barely exists. Like DeFi is just like, you know, a couple of hundred billions at the best. But the finance, off-chain finance is a trillions and trillions of dollars. So when we speak of DeFi, probably it's more like, not really, I, I wouldn't say wise, but at least how I think about DeFi. I don't think about DeFi today or yesterday. I think about DeFi 10 years from now. Yeah. And if everything, like if banking system wouldn't able to kind of like destroy uh, in order to protect themselves with DeFi, DeFi gonna flourish like orders of magnitude larger when the current represented. And it's really important that assets, which are like DeFi is based on actually give some, at least right for a human or private possession of this money. You know, like when everything depends on a few organizations overseas, for you, it's like, it's your local organization, but for me, it's overseas organization. <laughs> Why overseas organization should have an absolute power over my life savings. It just be, be beyond my comprehension. I think the private possession uh, value in the form of money have to be unreliable human right, you know, quite, quite frankly speaking. And right now it's not. Right now, like uh, one particular uh, institution inside of one particular country controls pretty much everything. I disagree with that. And a part of that, like we're currently in current present DeFi, like uh, how many do you think uh, stablecoin users actually use stablecoins in DeFi? Not just exchange, but I provide liquidity, you know, staking, all those things. Do you have any like thoughts, like 30%, 10%, uh, any guess? Oh, I have no idea. It's probably very, very few because very few people even use DeFi, so. It is, yes. Turn out, like, if you go, like, uh, the specific numbers, if you go on mainnet, uh, where the top three stable coins constitutes about um, 6.5 uh, million wallets in total. If you, like, just go and, like, USDT, USDC, DAI, or, like, uh, would be about this number. Out of them, barely 10,000 wallets Oof. provide liquidity in the largest pool by far, which is free CRV in a curve, a moment of speaking. If you take, like, top five protocol and extrapolate it for a long tail of DeFi assets, would be about less than 1% of stablecoin users use stablecoins uh, to provide liquidity, you know, to, to get some kind of like passive income on the, on, on the stablecoins. And classical, classical banking systems, like, were a huge part, like a tenth of percent about, like, it's a different country, different statistics, but significant part of bank users use saving accounts. Why such a big difference? What are many explanations why it can happen? All of them might sound like very... A uh, good explanation, you know, post factum, it's like very difficult, very, very easy to explain past events by having some logic, but does this logic able to predict future? It's a good question. But uh, regardless of the reason, like we have a situation where like, you know, all DeFi, which like would be massively benefit for humanity, is going to be a thing, you know, like everybody will have access to it, but right now it's not. It depends on assets, which completely centralized. Even even this system, like almost now, 99% of stablecoin users do not really use DeFi as, as antenna. They just maybe use some exchange at the best. And like the biggest stablecoin by far is USDT. Majority of people don't even know what's an asset in the form of like uh, on top of blockchain. They keep it as a, like when, when you ask people, like in, let's say in a Southeast Asia, like Indonesia, where like I used to live in Bali, where like people feel, all right, where is some Bitcoins, where is Tron, and where is USDT? So like they, they try to, 
have uh, some uh, real-world analogies. And for them, it's like, uh, you know, a whole, like, uh, kind of complete ecosystem. They, they don't even aware what you can do something with this USDT except just, you know, transfer from one world to another. And that's why we decided to use uh, the MakerDAO system because it's not only guarantees your floor price, not only guarantees you that not wallet cannot be frozen, but also have unique properties. Like if you use all these DeFi innovation, which we currently have on DeFi 2.0, you can put this collateral into Avi, let's say, to have some additional income. You can have this innovation, which Hamza speak about, like AMV async resistant, which is like state-of-art liquidation, sometimes up to orders of magnitude cheaper than Avi, which is market leader. And all this capital efficiency gives you ability to give users back. So essentially like end user, like stablecoin holders themselves, without knowing what is DeFi, without staking, without doing anything, were able to participate in DeFi because they might be entitled, if they decide, to a part of a protocol games, end users. It's, it's like a democracy in a sense, but not only like few rich individuals who control a government stocking, like in comparison with uh, some stablecoins, you know, get all protocol benefit, but end users do. So this is what we're actually moving towards, kind of like system where every single user, actually not just a user, but the ultimate beneficiary of a whole DeFi ecosystem. Yeah, I, I hope it just clarify like intention where we're coming from. And yeah. I, there's so many layers there. And, and I think the one thing that resonated for me so strongly was uh, even if I might trust, and I don't, but if, even if I might trust my regulators and circle, uh, there is absolutely no reason for anyone outside of the U.S. to trust them. Uh, and even though DAI says they're decentralized, 50 plus percent of their collateral is USDC. So effectively, they're also centralized. Like, I love that that's kind of the starting point and, and that you're kind of unwrapping into capital efficiency. So we'll definitely have a chance to talk about capital efficiency as well. Uh, Hamza, you were going to say something uh, before I started uh, talking. Uh, did you have anything else to share? No, I think Alex explained very well, like what the the two points. I probably just like uh, would love to to recap them a little bit. The first point was about uh, the decentralized aspect. The second point was about the yield. Uh, the first one was about decentralization and also this the over collateralization that we use. Uh, so yeah, if you would like to develop any part, we are here for that. Yeah, so the one part that might be different for folks and, and, and maybe stand out for what you're offering is this aspect of yield. And, you know, you mentioned kind of earning yield as you're, you're putting the collateral in. Uh, how does all of that work? How do you get yield out of this uh, system? Because uh, most stable coins today, right, you mint the stable coin and there it is. You're not getting anything extra from that. Well, I think there's a word that DeFi user loves uh, love uh, these recent uh, months. It's uh, real yield. People do not want an incentivized yield that comes from nowhere. And for stable unit, uh, yield comes from a diverse revenue stream. So first, as Alex mentioned, now with DeFi 2.0, we can take part of the collateral deposited on Aave, earn yield on, on that. The borrowings happening on the stable unit uh, protocol also generate fees. And lastly, we have the liquidation system that generates a profit for the protocol as well. So the yield doesn't come from nowhere and it comes directly to the user's wallet. So this is the nice point. It's not using rebasing tech, if you're familiar with it. It's uh, something completely unique to stable unit. And how it works is the protocol will give yield every block to the user directly to their wallet. So the more the reserve has, the higher the yield.
the lower the reserve, it will lower the yield. But it works in such a way that the yield doesn't stop. It goes down in a certain way, but it tries to never stop until like it's refilled, <laughs> if I have to give a simple explanation. And so the yield you get uh, by holding USD Pro, or what do you hold in order to get this yield? USD Pro. Like the stablecoin, because as an end user, you don't, you probably don't know about the stable unit protocol as some, maybe some DAI user don't know about Wasis and the lending uh, front end. So you don't need to know about any other part of the protocol. You just buy USD Pro on Uniswap and start earning yield. An interesting thing about this yield mechanism, as Hamza mentioned, it doesn't use replace, so it's a very unique uh, technology, like where it's like... Uh... Uh, sets of uh, linear equations which uh, make it happen. But the settlements happen during the transfer. So it's kind of interesting side effect because if you just hold uh, your USD Pro, Euro Pro uh, stable units, uh, you receive uh, certain uh, gains proportional to how much, not you receive, but like if DAO decide you receive, it's very important, like legal distinction. But uh, mechanism offers you ability to get some gains proportional to amount of uh, uh, coins you hold. But when you transfer, the settlements happen. So if you just hold, you will have a linear interest, but the more you use, the more closer to compound interest you'll have. So in that way, users who actually uh, utilize the wallet like into the more active manner will be initially incentivized. Oh, that's a really interesting concept. So you're, you're holding it, you're getting the interest, it's kind of simple interest. Um, and then at the yes. point that you transfer, uh, the, the interest is almost paid out to you. So conceivably, if you were to say transfer it to yourself every day, then you'd get that interest every day and it would compound daily effectively. You can game that system, yes. So there are a lot of uh, kind of like a corners where you can try to optimize it with a certain mechanism. But if you're such a savvy what you would like to optimize the yield, you might be advanced user to actually use some DeFi directly. You can just have a stable coin and provide liquidity, let's say Uniswap, and take this LP token, wrap it in gelato, and put gelato into some wire, and et cetera, et cetera. So majority of users wouldn't bother with that. It's, it's like statistics show, like only small majority of people actually use it anywhere. I mean, I was lucky to get early on in a space, and I remember like inception of DeFi summer in 2020, but when I used to be uh, employed by one inch, I was like one of early uh, employee by them. And uh, I learned like how this DeFi protocol works. And like everywhere I stake capital, I realized we're about, uh, it was some some number, like about 750. It's really like got in my memory because like during DeFi summer, every protocol I got early on, I have about 750 hour stakers. And, and so I can see what's all same people. So, you know, you just uh, get like about less than a thousand people who can have a sufficient amount of capital to pay this ridiculous fee on Ethereum mainnet. But it's very, very small minority of users. Even if it's like right now, maybe 10 times as much, 20 times as much, it's nothing in comparison with like uh, like whole like blockchain user base or like even stablecoin subset of this because stablecoin users were like uh, about 10 millions in total, at least 10 millions in total if you get side chains and all of this. Absolute majority of people like never even leave centralized exchanges. They just use somewhere in the Binance, like have this uh, stablecoins. We're not even aware what they can use the stablecoins problem. Maybe some of them are, we just don't use. But uh, it's very important to understand that although use cases might be not is the most advanced for for most advanced users for majority of people it's better than nothing it's better than the current they have because currently they have absolutely none of this so as you're you're talking about that that, that kind of yield and, and the way it accrues uh one thing that that came to mind is the, the comparison with kind of liquid staking derivatives and, and then 
perhaps the complexity that you have in terms of the value of these coins. Um, so if you're providing an LP based with USD Pro, um, wouldn't the value change every time there was a transaction to it? Like, how do you normalize it so it's still pegged to it to a dollar, even though it's still accruing interest? Uh, there is no rebase again. So internally, like, we're probably, we're multiple problems with rebase mechanism. Like, for uh, listeners who are not uh, familiar with rebase, it's basically inside of a ERC20 coin, instead of just direct balance, let's say it says what Alice has, a, I don't know, a thousand coins, Bob has a two thousand coins. All of this is like you have an internal balance and you have a one multiplicator for everyone. Let's say you have a thousand and multiplicator 1.2, therefore you have a 1200. This is kind of fine in order to, you know, increase balance in all wallets, but it has a lot of nasty downsides. One of them, you cannot have exact like uh, values of, of a wallet. So let's say you would like to transfer uh, 5,000 uh, stable coins, which is like internally, uh, like uh, all ERC20 contracts has things called decimals. Basically, internally, you don't have a 5,000 stable coins. You have 5,000 multiplied by 10 and power 18. And there is just no multiple, where there is no two integers, like uh, which uh, together when multiply one integer, I don't know, like whatever, like 1,200 uh, something, something, you cannot find, does not exist second integer, which you multiply and you get exactly five in the power of uh, 10 and power 18. You just, you always will have a, like little leftovers, which breaks some logical smart contracts Another problem that uh, when you provide liquidity in, into this rebase stable coin, let's say in Uniswap, and it's get a yield, always you'll get lost because it's kind of like automatically airdrops in a pool. Uh, you can also Google like my nickname, maybe 2045, like pancake swap. And there is like an article which explains uh, what might be an issue if you provide a rebase uh, coin, not even stable coin, mm -hmm. then many rebase coin as a source of liquidity in Uniswap because all this additional yield might be stolen and will be stolen. So we have a different technological system. The best is just to check documentation and maybe like go in the source code. It's going to be available after audits are done, but but doesn't have any of the side effects. So it's a little bit difficult to explain, but it's the same. It's it mathematically equivalent if you just have airdrop every single block. So if you have a lot of transfers, like and you have airdrops, it will work absolutely the same from smart contracts point of view, from individual points of view, from overall system. Okay, I'm not sure, it. like, yeah. maybe, maybe Hamza can explain it in a human language <laughs> rather than just technical, but um, I, I did my best. Yeah, no, yeah, I think the word airdrop is, is, is a good way to, to describe it. You get airdropped every block, part, uh, you're uh, part of uh, the yield proportional to how many coins, how many USD pros you have. Okay, awesome, awesome. Thank, thank you. And I know we, we delved a little bit deep technically, so let's maybe pop up a little bit. And uh, you know, I think the question that's probably on every everyone's mind is uh, Aru is talking about here is uh, mm -hmm. what protects it from a Luna-like situation? I think there's obviously some fundamental differences in the mechanism, but perhaps you could talk through for folks who aren't familiar with that. I, yeah, it's a great question. Mm -hmm. Or you, Hamza, can explain it in more technical terms. Yeah, I have recently talked about this, uh, about the Luna situation. And I found a way, like an easy way to explain it. If it was a CDP, it would be barely collateralized or under collateralized by a little bit. So the protocol has no margin. If Luna price falls down, there is bad debt automatically since it's not over collateralized. Like there's not this margin of error. This is the first point. Like the algorithmic stablecoin, even Vitalik said it word for word, are under collateralized or barely collateralized. The second point is 
that it uses a token, a, a Luna, that is endogenous to the, to the UST ecosystem. So they mint it. The more you want to exit the UST, the more Luna is minted, price goes down, and we have this down spiral. So both tokens are linked. If a problem happens to one, it happens to the other. For stable unit, the collateral is ETH. I don't think that a problem will happen to ETH, but if a problem happens to ETH, it will be liquidated as any other asset because it is over collateralized and there is this margin uh, to liquidate. So I think that this is like a, the simplest explanation I can come up with. But obviously, <laughs> I, I don't know, sounds, sounds very, very advanced for me. I would explain a little bit different, like for people who are not familiar with the Terra Luna project. Basic idea was you have a coin which kind of mimics the dollar, which called UST, and the guarantees what you're able to change one coin for one dollar was what they have a second token called Luna, which essentially kind of were sold in the background in order to give you one dollar. The problem is that, that although they have a 20 billion uh, stable coins, they have a barely, like on a paper, it seems like they have a, even more than 20 billion dollars worth of Luna. But in practice, the market cap is not really good uh, parameter to explain how much your asset worth. Because like, let's say I, I print a token of a thousand tokens and I sold one token to Hamza for a thousand dollars. In theory, I now have a one million dollar uh, cap a coin, but in practice, you know what like, it's, it's only I have a one thousand dollars actually liquidity. So this is distinction between actual liquidity and a perception of how much asset worth based on market cap is the reason why people trust uh, Terra Luna and it's the reason why it did not work. Because as soon as bank runs start, very similar to any other bank run, some people try to sell, they sold Luna, Luna dropped in price because it didn't have enough liquidity. Now you end up with a $16 billion uh, stable coins, kind of stable coins, without anything constitutes this <laughs> value of a $16 billion, where it's nothing which actually guarantees what they're able to be redeemed. And true story, like, it just collapsed into a zero very, very quickly, mm -hmm. just an overspan of a few hours. I was like there monitoring online, and this is what calls spiral of that. With overcollateralization or like crypto backed stable coin, you always guarantee what any moment of a time, let's say you have a billion of these uh, stable units in the circulation, you guarantee cryptographically what there is more assets into collateral, and those assets have actual liquidity. This is kind of tier one type of collateral. Uh, we, we explain it well documentation, but people who haven't checked it, it's basically assets such as Ethereum, WBTC, or even Dogecoin. It sounds counterintuitive. Why do you even count here Dogecoin or Shiba, like, uh, Shiba Inu? But it's actually great assets for collateral because there are so many retail users who bought it for cash. But right now, these meme coins have enormous amount of liquidity against cash. And therefore, it's actually very good uh, hedging against, uh, let's say, Ethereum or the volatility of Ethereum. So it's actually great uh, collateral a lot of people dismiss. But what good about that, what if you have, let's say, uh, 100 million uh, worth of Ether, you're able to sell it for very close price to 100 million. It might be, it, it will be have a slippage of a few million, but it's still not zero. When you have a, something which on a paper worth like $20 billion, but in reality have like only 5% liquidity, you're able to sell first 5% of this for something what you expect, but our 99% just left with nothing. This is kind of like uh, the problem with bank run, like if bank has yeah. only little liquidity and like people just came and asked, uh, you know, to take the deposits back, bank just, even though it's technically on a paper solvent, it just might not have enough 
uh, liquidity to cover, but in case of Terra, it wasn't even solid. So it's a fundamental difference between over-collateralization stablecoin and algorithmical stablecoin. Mm -hmm. uh, although, as Hamza mentioned, maybe somewhere in the future, some genius will end up with a such a system which able to, you know, have all these mechanisms work in a such a peculiar way, such a smart way that it's able to constitute all this uh, redemption and it might survive, who knows. So at least I haven't seen yet uh, mathematical proof that it's not possible to build algorithmical stablecoin. It's very, very important. One of them, what we have empirical evidence, what they do not work. Uh, another one, what we have a strict proof that it might never work. We don't have it. But what we do have, we actually have mathematical proof what we win the borders of stability or collateralization stablecoins do work, as well as we have an excellent empirical evidence of a MakerDAO case. MakerDAO survived like at least two bear markets, successfully survived. Nothing happens. Although currently it has this problem with USDC, no one, you know, force them uh, to, to have this USDC and collateral. So it's more like it was a political decision on the end to end up with a system which highly susceptible by centralized, centralized uh, collateral issuers, like a project which I personally like a lot called Liquidity or LUSD, does not have this issue. They're just very similar to original DAI idea. I like project a lot. And uh, I would personally, like if you want to right now use, I would recommend to use LUSD. I think it's a great project. Stable unit is more like evolution of a maker and both LUSD in the sense what it utilizes the modern primitive, like the more advanced primitive, uh, like legal blocks in order to generate capital efficiency in, in such way what it's able to fare back with end users. So every single user of a stable coin is essentially a beneficiary of a system. Mm -hmm. uh, that was a wonderful explanation. And maybe you can correct my understanding of, of DAI uh, because my understanding was that it did actually lose its peg and that led the, uh, the, the MakerDAO to actually uh, take on USDC as collateral in order to stabilize and hedge against the, the price of their other collateral. Uh, so maybe I'm misremembering that. Well, uh, a very like what are several things actually want to explain what exactly happened, and I'm not sure how much uh, in depth uh, average uh, listener of this podcast familiar with how MakerDAO works. But essentially, you can borrow die against different type of assets. For example, by default ether. But also, they made a decision what you're able to borrow with very very high uh, like loan to collateral ratio against USDC. But when USDC go down they still have this ratio and you're able temporarily until they uh, uh, disallow this, you're able to take less uh, worth, market worth of collateral and borrow more die. And like people who like series max out it very quickly and now you couldn't do it. But it's, it's not really a big problem because like USDC, like eventually like restored back. It was very clear that the system is very transparent. What is wasn't very clear is what in the same time USDT stays strong. USDT is anything, you know, not very famous for its transparency. <laughs> and like, I haven't seen definitive proof what they have all this money. I'm not trying to do FUD about USDT because project like, it's, it's a biggest, biggest stable coin. I mean, it's, it's an ecosystem crucial project so far, but uh, be quite frank, they could do better job about transparency, what we held as reserves. But for stable coin, you have a two parameters. For over-collateralized as a crypto or for fiat collateralized, doesn't matter. One of them is solvency. And another one is liquidity. What happens, let's say it's very good explanation why USDT perform that well, but they have plenty of liquidity. Even if they, I, again, it's not a FUD, I don't know, but nobody definitively proved what they're not. Might be theoretically, some fiat coins might be insolvent. It means we don't have, let's say, if you have a 
uh, I don't know, 10 billion uh, stable coins in a circulation, you might not have a 10 billion uh, money in a bank to actually bake it or any kind of asset. But as soon as you have a short-term liquidity in order to facilitate like millions and millions people who would like to redeem, they, uh, uh, another way to, to call this uh, centralized stable coin, fiat coins, essentially because it's a kind of tokenized fiat in a sense, that as soon as you have uh, enough cash to have all these redemption requests, you pack stay strong, even if you might not have all these assets to cover mm-hmm. all 100% liability which you have. Maker is an opposite direction. They have all these assets in collateral. And you can see, and it's very transparent, it's based on smart contracts, so it's stable unit. You have all these data in front of you. You can 100% verify what they have as assets. But the liquidity payer were connected with assets were temporarily like going down, including USDC. And because all trading payers you connected to actually go down, you also go down. It's uh, the problem of LUSD, for example, were traded below the pack, even though like, you can 100% guarantee what they have all this collateral. But because like if went down, USDC went down, all these things went down, you also went down because you traded against it. So it took some time to restore it back for arbitrage uh, players, but it just took uh, you know a few days and here we go. It's mm-hmm. not a big problem. As soon as you guarantee what you solve on temporary DPEG, it's not issue at all. But uh, stable unit utilize what we call multi-layered stabilization mechanism to fight against that as well, because we feel it's a uh, some it's not really important from Taconomy point of view, but it's a common, it's very important from psychological perception point of view, because like why bank run starts not because like people make some you know very objective calculations what you know there is not enough a liquidity you know this like a mortgage backed security might be insufficiently liquid you know to etc etc you just oh wow someone told me I have to take money of bank as, as soon as possible and like the horde of people start having it, and it's kind of like you know self um, kind of like a perpetuality, like, you know, how do you call it, um, self-enforcing mechanisms, kind of like uh, like avalanche in a sense. And people start doing it. Same with uh, stablecoin, even though it might be technically absolutely solvent, you might have all this collateral, is uh, high, like temporarily you trade below the pack, people might misunderstand the situation and try to sell it and mm-hmm. for even further. Uh, here, Brickle Pack Web 4, we keep a system which call a multi-layer stabilization system. Essentially, we use serial mechanisms uh, to uh, kind of ensure what if like high-frequency stabilization in terms of liquidity doesn't work, you know, you're able to turn on uh, different layers to ensure people that it's not only solvent, but also mm. have a solid pack. I, I, I love that calling out of confidence and how it's related to liquidity and the ability to redeem. It kind of reminds me of uh, just after FTX uh, blew up, uh, there was uh, some cr- some crisis of confidence in Binance and people started withdrawing billions of dollars. And then at some point they realized, oh, they're just giving us our money every time we withdraw and the money came back because they they passed that test of confidence. Um, so can you talk a little bit about how your kind of multi-layered stability mechanisms work, how you, you pair that kind of liquidity access as well as with the, the solvency uh, part of it? Uh, yeah, so basic uh, mechanism behind multi-layer stabilization, what we took, like, uh, let's say, um, a mechanism of repurchasable agreements. So basically, uh, uh, let's say algorithmical stablecoin like basis solely rely on this mechanism is only means of uh, survival. And uh, basis cash worked for a while. It's it's not collapsed immediately. It actually grew up and uh, when it has a, some problem with liquidity, they're able to utilize bonds very efficiently. But what happens that it has a, some limits 
how much capital can you lock on these bonds? And as soon as you have a certain amount of a capital as a percentage of your market cap into bonds, nobody else wants to buy it because like, you know, even if you buy a bond, you have to redeem all previous people before you in order to kind of mature your bonds because maturity based not on time, at least in a basis cash system, but based on availability of uh, demand for a stable coin. It's obviously it didn't work because like as soon as you have the situation, you have no other means to recapitalize the system and people start buying it, it's DPEG, DPEG kind of lose confidence in server, and you have this uh, what called spiral of death for algorithmical stable coin. But what is important for us, what is bond mechanism worked initially and what is able to sustain pressure of uh, between 10 and 15% of a sale pressure. It means mm -hmm. that if stable coin works and essentially if it guarantees you solvency, you're able temporarily essentially recapitalize the system by selling these bonds with a premium. And what happens what if you have a problem with liquidity, you need additional capping temporarily, you just use this mechanism of repurchasable agreements that, hey guys, just uh, can we borrow capital of you like using this mechanism? Because we know this mechanism works, people familiar with that. And be able to put this uh, capital temporarily in, 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 uh, in whatever we need. One of them might be even some uh, problem with, uh, it's essentially like recapitalization for insurance. I'm not sure, does that make sense with this explanation? But documentation covers it uh, in more, more detail, documentation of white paper. Yeah, I think, you know, you know, using both of those mechanisms to, to help kind of make sense, there's, there's perhaps a lot of technical detail that's uh, at least a little bit beyond me uh, in this particular call. Um, I, I did also want to call out here, uh, Eat World Order had a question, and I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of flat coin pegged. Um, so, mm -hmm. uh, you know, his um, thought here is that stable coins won't survive, uh, flat coins pegged to inflation or the future, and he's calling out a project called Nuon Finance, which is not, not one that I'm personally familiar with. Uh, but if you have some thoughts on that, uh, Alex Hamza would love to hear your thoughts. Well, I, I have a simple, like just a simple thought. Uh, I'm not very much uh, familiar with this particular project, but targeting a fixed rate, like 6% inflation, 8%, and this is the fixed target promising this fixed rate. I don't think that this is, something that should be done for any stable coin like rate shouldn't be like fixed it should be something that comes from the real yield for stable unit can it be higher maybe can it be lower maybe but it's coming from a diverse revenue stream and this is what's important having a fixed target is also like what started the demise of luna if you remember anchor with its 20 percent it was also pegged against the inflation in a way until it wasn't so this is just my personal belief on anything targeting saying hey we target to fight this that has kind of a constant rate every year but yeah on, on the contrary what we're building has real yield coming from it and i believe that stablecoin will stay as long as there is demand for currency especially internationally even if crypto falls I might still use crypto for stable coins if I come back to Morocco. Yeah. yeah. Did I you have, have any more to, 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 uh, Yeah. So uh, first of all, yeah, I'm familiar with new one. So I spoke with a founder of a Stefan Rust, like about investment. It's actually a good project. Uh, overall, there are like two questions in one. One of them is about where a uh, kind of short term uh, success in a current DeFi market of uh, stable coins, which not packed to a familiar unit of account 
And second one is uh, how good is it is overall asset. Uh, right now, our uh, project, which is uh, kind of um, support the same philosophy, right? Right from Amin, it's absolutely magnificent project, uh, technologically speaking. It's used. It's also kind of like evolution of a die, but in a slightly in different direction. I like both of this project, but if you want to have uh, some sizable uh, usage currently, uh, people are familiar with these coins. People are familiar with dollar, familiar with euro. For them to use some kind of assets, which is like, I don't know, like 314 or like what is currently right traded about two something uh, dollars, it's just not very intuitive. It might be a good asset for traders, let's say, or a special, uh, you know, use cases where you would like to hedge against, let's say, um, like a fall of Ethereum or Bitcoin, like uh, something like uh, like low volatile assets overall. And our white paper, like, explain it, like, in the details. You can connect not only to something that, you know, uh, based, based on the market, you can connect something like a CPI, you can connect to some derivative, you can connect to a basket of currencies. But a lot, a lot of financial, like uh, off-chain, for example, indexes, which tracks those indexes. This overall good asset for speculators, but it's not what's going to make a cut for regular mm -hmm. users. All these 10 million users, 10 actually millions of users of a stablecoin, just would like to have a dollar on blockchain. They would like to have a rupee on blockchain, euro on blockchain. And ideally, you know, no one else will take it from them. <laughs> Again, like a great project, like a financial project are good. I mean, if we're not competing with them, they're complementary project. But uh, I think uh, approach serves like a bigger uh, problem of a market. Bigger problem that like people just want to have reliable fiat on a blockchain and they don't have it right now. Like even if you get like this uh, USDC, which is like fully transparent, great. So like you saw last week what happened. Even if it would happen to like, it might happen in the future. Even if you don't really care about solvency and you believe we're going to resolve it, like what is for you? I mean, they already freeze the first pool in DeFi. It's only a matter of a time until they would might ask. Like no one stops them to one day say, you know what, guys? Sure, you have your life savings. You sold the house. Now you keep USDC in your leisure. But you know what? You wouldn't able to use without KYC. And KYC, I mean, you can pass it. You might not pass it. For example, I get... Uh, my money gets stuck in a Binance like uh, since 2018. Didn't have any legal reasons to do that, but still unable to get my money out of a Binance. What happens beyond my comprehension? It's the easiest, easiest explanation. They technically can, you know. It just I I'm just happened to be one small percentage of people who home system didn't work as an error. So you know, but like next they can have a law which you know all not Americans cannot use it, let's say, or something like that. Or unless you have, a, I don't know, some particular, uh, I, I mean, case in Canada, yeah. let's say, right? I, you might support the tracker case. You might uh, not support like anti-vaxxers. It's up to you. It's your political and religious and whatever your life use. But here's a tangible outcome. Canadian government disagree with a with huge amount of the people inside of a country who were like protest and just lock them out of a banking system like simple like that just like switch off yeah. and now you don't have your life savings you don't have a means to pay rent you don't have a means to buy a grocery like you don't even have a means to like pay for for gas for your truck what is it so you you might you might like pack you might like like a very lot of different conversation but ultimately no your money should belong to you no one else not especially not your government which you might disagree with and only a matter of a time until it will have a kickback to you, like it's, it will shoot you in the knee if you even support, especially like CBDC system. The worst thing which can happen with blockchain or even finance overall is centralized banking, uh, central banking stablecoin. 
It's the worst nightmare, nightmare which you can imagine. Because as soon as it became a thing, for, you, for world thinking, you can just die essentially. Like government, just in one single click, gonna exclude you from 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 a system. You wouldn't able to do anything. You wouldn't able to eat. You wouldn't able to pay. You would you end up on the street and die. Like you know, it's something that like no sane uh, sane person should be supporting you. Centralized banking, stable coin is the worst Aurelian nightmare which we can imagine. And like uh, you know, USDC is just like a step towards it. So until they have guarantees, what not individual wallets able to like, let's say a case of WBTC, uh, you know, like wrap Bitcoin on Ethereum. It's also centralized assets because it's controlled by the, a kind of like a group of companies. It's a very big group of companies, but nevertheless, it's centralized. However, if you go in a smart contract, you can go right now, go in the first scan and type WBTC and see the solidity code. You don't need to be a programmer actually to read, just English word. What you notice what this system unable to individually freeze wallets. Hmm. Huge difference between USDC. Although it's also centralized, you cannot freeze, let's say, Alice because he is, was wrong thinking or, you know, say something uh, which go against agenda on Twitter, you know, again, universally canceled or something like that. You know, like centralization is not like black and white. It's a whole spectrum. And we have to cross with certain threshold on the spectrum to be completely safe. Not necessary to be in ultimate end, you know, like total hard privacy, like Tornado Cash gives you. You know, like, uh, you might like it, you might dislike it. I don't think it's going to be universally accepted because it's, uh, you know, a government have a certain reasons to, you know, to tax people, etc., etc. So taxation is good. But some basic private possession in terms of no one else can take your money, I think is absolutely must-have because if you wouldn't have, it would be absolutely hellish world to live in. Sorry, I got, like, a lot of, like, uh, this off-topics, uh, but it, 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 it topic really resonated, like, with my views and my problems, so just... Feel free to interrupt me. No, no, I, I appreciate you, Alex, and I appreciate the passion that you have here. Um, you know, on this show, we're very big friends of the Monero community as well. Uh, and so, you know, a lot of them have a very similar kind of ethos and passion as you about the, the, the ownership and about the self-sovereignty. Um, Hamza, did you have something to add to, to this? Yeah, uh, just like a sentence we always say, because uh, I'm very familiar with why I didn't, I wasn't familiar with Nuance. But from what I heard from Alex right now, it relates to a sentence I say a lot. I say it's not the war against centralization. It's the war for decentralization. So it's mm -hmm. not like it's not the stable coins war. It's really we're all together trying to make something that is infreezable, that that has true properties of money, like described by founding fathers of the United States. As a matter of fact, we use once one uh, quote from uh, Thomas Jefferson on our website because we relate to it a lot and it considers like an intermediary of the central bank. I, I will just read it because it's a very, very small quote. But I think it, it's also like a good continuation to what Alex said. So Thomas Jefferson said, a private central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the, of the people than a standing army. So it's, for me, this shows the importance of decentralization, the importance of having money that nobody can take away from you. And if Rai, uh, Nuon, and Stable Unit are able to bring that, there is no competition. Competition is, well, not the competition, but we're trying to make decentralization the norm. 
I love it. And and I love that, you know, some of the principles of our, our you know, I'd say my founding fathers in, in, in this case, but uh, are universal principles universal enough that people across the world can latch onto them and say, that's an ethos and a principle we're going to dedicate time and effort to. Uh, all the fields here. Let's talk about some of the te technicalities. So uh, what's the collateral that's backing um, the USD Pro? Uh, what uh, are the plans for expanding that collateral, if, if any? Uh, and then if you could talk a bit about the liquidation mechanism, because it sounds like you've got you know, what you called async uh, MEV resistant liquidation mechanism. So you know, diving a little bit deeper into what that means and how that works. Let's say start and Hamza will complete if you feel what I'm missing some parts. Mm -hmm. So we have a tiers of collateral. Tier 1 collateral, which constitutes at least 70% of collateral overall, is a Tier 1 collateral which has Ether, Wrap uh, Bitcoin, uh, Doge, Shiba, etc., etc. So basically assets with major liquidity. A system overall is EVM agnostic, so it can be launched on any chain which supports Ethereum-compatible smart contracts. Uh, we just start from Polygon by historical reason. And it's a great blockchain, honestly speaking. I like how Polygon progress in terms of, you know, in increasing the uh, technology behind it. Uh, but um, those collaterals are great for originating stable coins because they have a major source of liquidity. So you might have a hundreds of million worth of Ether and you're able to sell it in terms of even, even severe market crash during cascade liquidation. We have a tier two uh, collateral which constitutes of a stable coin, surprisingly enough. This is not collateral which we accept by default, but this is assets which we end up from onboarding users and during liquidation. Uh, I will speak more about asynchronous and resistant liquidation, but asynchronous stands for we do it in a two steps. So let's say you borrow 100,000 uh, stable units, like, uh, for example, Europro against 150 uh, Ether, and uh, price of Ether went down, and for just for the sake of argument, threshold uh, for liquidation is 130%. What happens, uh, like, in a system, system able to system gives this. Someone uh, spots this uh, help, like, uh, situation and triggers the uh, basically a liquidation, but this person just receives a small part of a collateral as a remuneration, and other people actually uh, close this position. But position is not really liquidated anymore. We have uh, two operations. One of them is market sale of this ether from a collateral. And market sale, actually a great way to phrase it because we don't really need to pay immediately the stable unit because initially when system launch, stable unit will be like minor stable coin. It's unable to compete with liquidity uh, against one major stable coin such as USDC. USDC has millions and millions of liquidity against Ether. So it's only logical to sell Ether for USDC or USDT because you will have less slippage. The less mm -hmm. slippage you have, actually the more money you will be able to secure from this market sale. And this USDC which end up on the balance sheet of a system. You can exchange for a stable unit and close a position like Maker does. But in the same time, you have a users. You have a users who come to your system, they give you like USDT, they receive a USD Pro, and they would like, let's say, cash out. Like you have 100,000 USD Pro, and you would like to cash out $1,000 for your debit card to pay for a coffee. You would need USDT. Where we take this liquidity? One approach, classical approach, you do some uh, factory pool, let's say, on a curve and uh, have a, some token mark, you know, a convex to kind of like to uh, capitally efficient to bootstrap liquidity, and that's it. It's a classical approach. But we already have this USDC from liquidation. Why do we need to pay anyone as a system if we already have this USDC? And therefore, you can use it as a one-site liquidity 
to facilitate these uh, exchanges for USDPro and to USDT and vice versa. So it's actually a great way, A, to reduce slippage, B, to have it uh, in a basically way that uh, like you can do flash loans there, so it's unnecessary to have all this like huge capital and balance sheet. You, you, you can just borrow with USDC in order to facilitate transaction. And C, we end up with a stable coin which we will need for A, uh, liquidity, B, high frequency stabilization. Because one way to have a high frequency stabilization is just to have a sufficient amount of liquidity on the market against USD Pro. Because let's say someone came and just dumped 50,000 with USD Pro, like in a transaction, you might expect if you don't have liquidity, it, you know, it, it will lower a price. But if you have, you know, like a half a million liquidity, it just, it just does, that doesn't make a dent in a price. And what MEV resistant means, it's actually uh, about the, how a current uh, liquidation system works in general. The current market leader is not Maker, it's actually Avia. Avia Lending Protocol is a magnificent protocol, very, very advanced, a lot of functionality, amazing protocol. And the use, uh, which is current state of uh, kind of like uh, the art, not state of art, but like the, the most at least popular liquidation system called fixed spread liquidation. What it means that uh, when uh, liquidation facilitated, uh, you have a certain premium uh, percentage based on an asset and uh, other means like uh, such as blockchain, etc. Let's say 7%, right? And if you arbitrage able to uh, close this position, you will receive a 7% uh, interest as a reward for your efforts. But you're not alone in the market. You're not a very smart, you know, like liquidator. Well, a lot of, a lot of competition. But you need only two people who compete with each other. As soon as you have a two arbitrageurs to compete for the same uh, position to liquidate, you're going to vote. Like, you'd say, but in, in case which I showed you, like 150 for like a 7% minus like threshold will be, let's say, $9,000 premium. $9,000 is a lot of money for one transaction, right? I want to have it, please. But Hamza, let's say, uh, for instance, he is another arbitrageur, say, no, I want to have it. But who going to decide? Well, ultimately, uh, decisions are minors. It's people who, you know, will uh, confirm a block and put it in a blockchain, Builders, like on yeah. top of that. Yeah. As, as a moment of speaking, it's a special, like, uh, optimized layer on top of block producers, like a flashbot or similar, which you're able to bribe. Uh, there are a lot of benefits to doing that. You save on the gas if transactions do not get mined. It's that I wouldn't go deep in, into this because we don't have enough time. But what happens, you essentially bribe this minor layer to say, please take me, I would like to take this payment. And because we compete with Hamza, we compete up to the point of uh, minimal marginality. I compete up mm -hmm. to a level that actually makes sense for me. And we end up to pay absolutely majority of this money to the uh, like un underlying infrastructure, to the flashbots, and I will receive just a couple of hundred dollars because if I will receive less, I just wouldn't do it, wouldn't make any sense for me. What happens in a stable unit? The stable unit system deterministically for CDP position picks up of one of 21 stakers. So basically, you can stake governance token as you down. And uh, the longer you stake, the more you stake. It's similar to VACRV system from a curve. Uh, you, 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 you will have a certain amount of voting power and a contract where you stake able to tell who is like 21 big, uh, biggest voting power holders. And they have a numbers, like number zero, number one, number two, et cetera, et cetera. And each CDP has ID with that. So basically, deterministically connect to one particular liquidator. And you have a certain time, about 60 seconds by default, DAO able to upgrade uh, because system like currently in audit stage, like DAO, like a lot of people who come in DAO have a lot of proposal, very smart people, like uh, who have ideas how to fine tune. So it might be changed, but as a moment of speaking, it's uh, 60 seconds with about four blocks. 
uh, for a theorem minor. And what happens like during this uh, kind of grace period, like any period, you don't compete with anyone. Only you, only this particular arbitrage are able to liquidate. Therefore, you don't need to pay them $9,000 to do it. You can pay them just a couple of hundred dollars directly. And you, you cannot just bribe if you are different, like if you, let's say, number seven liquidator able to close this position and you're number six, you just go to Fletchbots and say, here's your $8,000, like a bribe, please take me. And they took you, but like the premium actually just $200 just doesn't make economical sense to do. It's actually 51% attack, like a corner case of this, where you kind of like, uh, you know, privately construct block, which is not publicly visible. There are a lot of ways how you can game the system, but it just doesn't make economical sense to do it, except actually you as a, as, as a particular arbitrator to take this position. And because it's in USDC, you have all this uh, existing infrastructure of flash loans, of one-inch aggregators, etc., etc., which you can utilize and leverage up to your advantage. So basically, you're able to get same amount of profit from Ave, but uh, a system overall will able to keep this uh, $8,500 as, as, as actually a protocol money. Mm -hmm. And because of this, you're able to redistribute it back to a user, like if DAO decides so. I'm not I sure how well explain Hamza. Maybe you can just, you know, like stop me and explain that. Maybe yeah, I mean, Hamza has some questions. Was it that, I think the, the important concept from, from what you're saying is, you know, without what you've built there with the mev-resistant liquidation, uh, all of the value goes to, I mean, I guess now there, there would be uh, validators, not miners, but would, would be someone outside of the ecosystem. Uh, with your system, all that value goes to the, the protocol itself, the people who are liquidating, potentially people who hold it, and some of the, the fees that get returned. Um, and so it seems like a much more uh, mutually beneficial system. For users of system, yes, not, not for my <laughs> Yes. Uh, sorry, Hamza, did, did you have more uh, to comment on that? No, it's uh, exactly that. Like it's uh, the, the objective is to make the end user participate in DeFi and the liquidation uh, system allows for, is also like part of DeFi, the protocol earns revenue from this part and redistributes to the, the end user. So yeah, the end user is the ultimate beneficiary when it comes to stable unit. Another way to explain it, which may be more user familiar, is a difference between proof of work and a proof of stake concept. In mm -hmm. proof of work, you basically, like you, on both of the system, you compete who's gonna be next person who will say which block going to be compiled and this person will receive or entity will receive remuneration in form of like Coinbase and a transactional fee, et cetera, et cetera. In proof of work, you just prove what you are, you know, the, someone who deserve it by burning as much uh, electricity as possible using uh, pre-purchase equipment, you know. And uh, this is a great system overall. It has some limitation. It's not environmentally friendly, but it works. But in proof of stake, they say, you know what? Why don't you prove it, not just burning it, but just by flashing your capital? You just like put your uh, capital in a contract and you will prove what you know. Yeah, I have I have, a, have a skin of the game. And if you game a system, you will be slash. And also because like the system overall performance uh, will uh, correlate with price of asset, you kind of like, you know, you long this asset. And uh, it's great system. Here the same. So in, in classical case of fixed spread liquidation, you essentially prove what you deserve uh, to uh, like um, finish uh, this liquidation, to facilitate this liquidation by giving as much bribe as possible. And like people who decide, yeah, you deserve it because you give us too much, like uh, like more money than anyone else. In, in this system, like an unstable unit, uh, MEV, I think um, a resistance system, basically you take governance token and prove what every like uh, time which you are chosen, 
you're able to liquidate on time manner because if you are unable to liquidate it in a 60 second someone who will liquidate will take your place you don't lose your tokens but you kind of you need to stake more or wait until uh, your lock period is over so it's very 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 similar in that sense between the proof of work and proof of stake philosophy i would say so it's nothing mm -hmm. something like super unique within that we actually just use best practices of a of a long current market for existing uh, not very efficient uh, liquidation market Let's talk a bit about the, the, the DAO token and how that works in this concept. Uh, so, so what is the DAO? Uh, what is the token that, that's related to it? What are the, what's the utility for the token? Mm -hmm. We're a double DAO system. Maybe Hamza can explain like uh, better. Uh, like, yeah. So uh, since we started the conversation talking about the Sudao token, uh, we'll start the explanation using this one. So the Sudao token is the ERC20 token uh, utility slash governance token. So it gives benefit on the stable unit platform. The example is the access to liquidations, but it also gives uh, the possibility to vote uh, in the stable unit DAO. So the ERC20 uh, token represents the financial capital. So people who come in wants to liquidate, who uh, have capital, and uh, this is their way of participating. On another hand, you have people who want to contribute their time and reputation and knowledge and skills. These people are social capital. So for social capital, we give them a free NFT. So they start the journey with a free NFT that have a low governance power. But the more they contribute, the higher their governance power. And obviously, the, the higher the level, the also lower the, the lower the requirement to be able to freely transfer the NFT. So it's to put it simply for you, because are you you are familiar with Soulbound NFTs? Uh, maybe for the folks who are watching, if you could talk a bit yeah. about what Soulbound so, NFTs are and how they fit into the system. It, it is not Soulbound per se, so I will just explain it as it is. It's the token is locked until the Sudao token. Uh, reaches a certain market cap. So you're not able to transfer it even to your other wallet. But the higher your level, the higher your contribution to the DAO, the lower this requirement as well. So you're being rewarded in this way by having this mm -hmm. NFT that represents you. And once you grow in the DAO, you're able to exit DAO and you're allowed to exit uh, faster if you want. So this is like a retribution for your effort. And also it gives advantages on the Sudao, uh, on the stable unit protocol as well. So it gives some advantages. So this is for the two tokens. And to have votes in the protocol, for some votes, you would need the majority. But uh, for constitutional changes, you would need the consensus between social capital and financial capital. And since mm -hmm. they, have, they might have different interest they might have different objectives they need now to find a common grounds to put what's best for the protocol so we believe governance wise it will lead to a great experiment and good uh, good engagement between social and financial capital when it comes to voting and also we also believe that those are at the beginning of the garner curve people are starting only to be familiar with DAOs. We see also DAOs appearing in NFT, uh, in the NFT community. So DAOs are really at the beginning. But once this concept matures, and once it gets to the world, we will see a powers network effect from DAOs 
And the DAOs that are able to onboard the most people in the best way, they will be able to massively onboard at that time. And this is what we're preparing for. Alex said it earlier. We're, well, I think that it's the same for you if you're in DeFi, it's that you believe in the future of DeFi. And in 10 years, DeFi being the future of finance, it will be bigger and we need to prepare for it now. Tell me a bit more about the the NFT and, and kind of that social <laughs> token. Uh, how are rewards accrued there? Is it, you know, posting on, on Twitter or contributing to the Discord or like, uh, what, what's that mechanism for uh, determining it? Uh, I, I will give an example of something that was uh, done before. So I think this example is valuable. Uh, you can, for example, contribute on Twitter, like you said, like retweet, share, give some... Uh, give some awareness about around the stable unit protocol. But you can also do something related to your expertise. We had a UX uh, aspiring designer that worked on a very good user experience, uh, UI, sorry, for safe transfer that cash, a side project we have. And we awarded this user uh, based on his contribution. So it's experience points that the, the more experience points you have, the more governance power you have. And obviously, if you like or share a Twitter post, you will not get as much as if you do a YouTube video explaining stable unit or a cool UI that we might use. Who rewards the experience points? I'm trying to wrap my head around a decentralized system that awards experience points. Who's deciding to award it? So as of now, it is the team the DAO if the DAO likes someone if someone writes something about stable unit and the DAO shares it in the chat we would definitely be glad like to add the experience point and we work using a transparent system so you can see your experience point but also other people's experience points so that you know that there's no uh, like it's transparency as of now it's more transparent than decentralized but the objective in the future is have DAO members by themselves award experience point. And also by having it transparent, other DAO members will be able to monitor and control. Okay, so it's kind of a bootstrap phase right now where it's centralized more with the team in terms of awarding experience. And then once it's- It's a whole whole journey. Yeah, whole journey to get. But uh, for a few points I want to add that like from technical point of view, it's actually uh, maybe interesting for some developers who will watch it is uh, we have a contract like uh, we have uh, two contracts, one of them for SQDAO uh, ERC20 token and another one for Solbon NFT, like uh, SQDAO NFT. And basically there is a contract on top of them, which calculates like how much each of them you have, how much is total supply to try to maintain the competition 50-50. So overall, all currently minted SQDAO tokens should have the same amount of voting power as all currently available NFT tokens. And that way you have kind of like balancing checkers similar to what uh, developed governments do. Uh, and we able to take this contract, but you're able to mimic it as ERC20 token as well. And therefore you have kind of like virtual uh, voting power, ERC20 token, a fully uh, compound compatible, compatible. Like compound has a, a governmental system called compound Bravo. And we're like uh, super cool tools like uh, Teller, Teller and like uh, Open Zeppelin Defender a couple of hours, which are great to work with them. So you're able to combine these kind of system from two tokens into existing infrastructure, which I found is very interesting. And uh, we need it because I feel like uh, same as Hamza, what we in very beginning, 
of a DAO adoption. We barely seen like successful DAOs so far. We're just a few examples and very a lot of critics of all these uh, examples. But I see that we're more be moving forward with adoption over with web-free technology in general, the more different type of DAOs we have. Because DAO is like, for example, a limited liability corporation is a huge invention of humanity. It's able to, you know, bring together like a lot, a lot of people are working towards the same goal and at the same time you get protected from some issues. So I feel that DAO is kind of like the next step where you're able to have even more people work to the same goal, like who haven't even know each other personally. Like I don't even mention I never seen Hamza like in my in my life. We all remote team. I never never seen like my like co-founders and my team. But Vra like Dao way more. You might even haven't you haven't seen faces of these people. And I also personally invest in Dao. So everyone have a great Dao of Pingmi in DM. <laughs> I have like uh, interest to this this topic. And and uh, the last one that. Uh, our Dao like uh, is like because it's a journey to decentralization, but it's soon is uh, on the next step where like core team uh, does not happen to be a guardian of, of, of a DAO because currently a core team has like, as Hamza mentioned, like a more transparency than decentralization. Core team have quite a lot of power, but as soon as we move towards stage, DAO able to fire us. So I don't know, like, do you have many examples of DAO where a core team has actually get elected and able to get fired, but it's what is embedded into the system of stable DAO from day one actually. From day one, we were very transparent. So it started as just a Telegram chat of people who weren't, uh, weren't you know, happy with the existing stablecoin. And it started as a chat and kind of involved in what is currently is. And uh, the ultimate goal that this DAO, if like a core team does not perform, they're able to just hire a new core team and, you know, like uh, to have like a kind of maybe a mimic of election when people choose their representatives and the representatives, if they're not happy, they're able to you know, swap them for other part of a political spectrum. Mm -hmm. No, this part, yeah, it's important to mention it. Like we currently have a DAO that these people, these members can uh, already like come decide together. They, they have this conversation platform to, well, if they don't want us, they're not satisfied. They're able to decide that. Yeah. So in a way, if since the all the experience system as of now is public information, if there is any problem, anything that the DAO disagrees with, any member that was awarded too much experience points, the DAO can just step in and say, hey, what's this here? Mm. As of now, we still didn't have this problem. <laughs> We're following the guidelines we put. But uh, if an, any team member in the future decides to award 1 million experience points to his friends, the DAO can just notice it and ask him to justify it. Got it. I'd love to spend some time on the risks in the system. So the, the system you've described is a little bit more complex than you know other systems that, that at least I'm aware of. And uh, you know I'm curious if you could enumerate the, the various risks for folks so they can have a clear understanding, and then how you've uh, gone about mitigating some of those risks. It's a great question. So although systems sound more complex than the reality, it is because of this MV resistant liquidation like uh, actually might be even more simpler than Avi has because a lot of infrastructure of Avi is not really into the smart contracts, but like uh, environment uh, to be able to successfully operate. Uh, we have a whole kind of like a chunk of our documentation. I think like 30% of our documentation is about risk at least. And uh, you can classify risk in a kind of major category. 
Uh, first one is uh, centralization risk, right? So it's uh, what we uh, logically came from. Centralization risks are mitigated by A, does not have uh, assets in a collateral, which able to freeze uh, because they disagree with politics or whatever. Second one, contract itself controlled by the government, deployed by the DAO. You know, they, uh, like we as a core team, do not even like uh, deploy these contracts. We only propose a reference implementation, which DAO might theoretically disagree with or just, you know, fire us and to hire a new, new, new one. And in that way, uh, no contract is actually get owned by some individuals who might abuse the system. Like the, the, the whole DAO owns it. Only DAO can uh, change it, et cetera, et cetera. The third one is about the core team itself. So basically core team only temporarily kind of like uh, chosen and uh, because uh, in order to bootstrap, you know, like we have to like finish this work, but uh, eventually we actually foresee that maybe it will be have some distribution between technical core team and some uh, marketing maybe core team and they get elected on a regular basis with a different remuneration system. So it's still work in progress, but uh, moving towards. And uh, front-end, so basically every smart contract is insufficient uh, to provide a user experience because we also need some means to interact with that. And the current front-end also like in a stage of reference implementation, which we do not own, and we basically learning and taking the best practices from Liquity, a project I mentioned before, a great project, check it if you haven't seen it. And Liquity uh, front-end approach is a really, really good one because they don't own front-end, Everyone can deploy the front end, and every partners of them, like Zerion, like other um, kind of like uh, DApp aggregator, uh, able to provide them different and unique uh, user experience interactive contract, but contract itself on by DAO. So, this is like a first chunk of a centralization risk. After that comes uh, security risk. Security risk, like at least in a four category. It's a smart contract exploits, typical. It's a bridging because a synth system is even agnostic. It's a multi-chain by default and there might be some exploit. Uh, underlying infrastructure and a social engineering. Uh, smart contract, we have a, like currently DAO uh, will decide with each uh, smart contract our deepest work, but we are currently like two we work on smart contract and one we work with uh, uh, techonomics. It's also very important. And uh, current <clears throat> like uh, we're working right now with an uh, insurance company because we haven't signed a contract. I'm not going to name that, but uh, it basically insurance company who not only insure, but also they auditors, like partner auditors, mm -hmm. outside of audit provide additional insurance for exploits of a smart contract. Basically, a typical auditor uh, contract looks like you pay them a certain amount of money based by lines. So it's like uh, whatever, like from $10 up to like infinite dollars per line of a code, and like you pay them this chunk of money where like, I don't know, five, three people uh, take a few weeks to watch your code very clear and give you like PDF file, which says, you know, this is great. This is, you know, it works until it doesn't. Like Euler is a good, a great example. Great project, I love it a lot, but you know, it's not a, it's not an ultimate um, solution, unfortunately, when you have a six audits. So what audits different? Was audits actually ensure that if thing happens to your code, they cover it from a special like, uh, Fund. So this is uh, a part of a typical like um, um, bug bounds. It's an our best practice. I mean, it's not our first protocol. Like previous protocol got like um, you know like uh, more than a hundred million in liquidity. You know, did like over billion dollars like in the first twelve weeks, like in revenue. So we have a certain experience to develop protocol. But ultimately, it's basically best practices. Bridging wise, uh, we currently use uh, layer zero. 
So layer zero is a kind of like new tech able to provide uh, uh, technology. It doesn't provide UI, so UI also provide by DAO. But I think it's a great ability. But overall, the ultimate solution for a bridging that uh, system works independently. The only unresolved uh, problem right now is how, like, is when they move towards completely on-chain compound Bravo-style governance, it's still an open problem how they're going to deliver the decisions across chains because you need additional oracles, so there might be emerge some complexity. It's a work in progress. But overall, because system works isolated, like in all chains, you only have like uh, different liquidities. Uh, even if bridge get exploited, it's not a big problem because bridge does not mint coins. On only on, on like, the only way to create coins is to put some collateral and borrow it against it. So even the, like bridge ex- exploiting of bridge maximum can hurt the liquidity providers for for bridge, which like uh, our partners do. Underlying infrastructure, well, it's even compatible. So yes, maybe Ethereum can be exploited, but I choose this uh, like estimation of probabilities negatively low. For our EVM compatible chain, it might be higher, but it's again work in progress. Polygon proved to be extremely reliable in that sense, and I honestly think if someone gonna exploit like uh, Polygon up to like you know break the whole ecosystem, it will have far bigger problem than just loss of part of a collateral. And even if you're able to choose it, I mean, still like you're unable to put money uh, out of a system unless you fundamentally break rules of you know how smart contracts work. So it, it's, uh, it's not possible without destroying the whole blockchain. And the social engineering comes to the, again, uh, centralization. So even if someone uh, going to social engineer me, or I don't know, the funds that you're now like being a brightest hacker who just used, uh, <laughs> you know, a fake deep uh, like last year and just, uh, it's, it's not this person, it's just like hologram. And he's actually a hacker who just like worked very hard all this way only to hack it in the future. <laughs> I mean, even though it's like super ridiculous case, it, it does, doesn't matter. I, I don't have access to this money. Hamza doesn't have access to money. Nobody has. Only DAO has. And uh, so, so what? Even if like we end up to be like the, the most slowest hackers in the world with like the longest like reveal, uh, it does, doesn't matter. We don't have access to money. No, do we don't even have access to content. We don't deploy in the smart contract DAO that. It's so, like, because uh, I think like the short way to say it is like, we don't want someone to touch our money to control our money. So we're not controlling mm-hmm. yours. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, that's I great. Mean, not... uh, yeah. And, okay. and the last, uh, last, last, last vector of attack is a financial attack. For example, uh, the, the most common uh, them is uh, free. One of them is a market crash, price manipulation and kind of the economic exploit. The market crash, uh, we have a great... Uh, like a chunk of a simulation, like agent-based simulation, Monte Carlo simulation, where uh, kind of we show borders of stability of mechanism. So you can see what, like, how severe market crash have to be. But in a nutshell, if market crash is such severe, what it's able to break over-collateralized system with such advanced liquidation system plus multi-layer stabilization, all our protocols going to collapse before that. So like if, uh, if we're able to, like, if it collapse that hard, that uh, system wasn't able to, to liquidate and insurance would be able to cover and wouldn't able to recapitalize, chances are even liquidity is dead before that. So we kind of, because we based on top of this, is essentially evolution. We kind of mm-hmm. like have all these properties of security and something on top of that. Price manipulation is different matter because price manipulation can come in form of flash loans, like the typical exploits, or if you don't have enough liquidity, manipulation of a price, like a Moonlight, Example, for example, it's a lending protocol on, on a seller blockchain. They're just able to pump the price. And because price was very expensive, you're able to borrow against the kind of inflated price asset. And because it does not constitute enough value, you wouldn't able to liquidate it back. 
uh, we have a set of mitigation, like uh, you have a limited how much you can borrow against each asset and the price ceiling for each asset, even if assets temporarily get to the, mm -hmm. you know, to the moon, uh, you wouldn't able to borrow enough money against it because there are some guardians in check. Yeah, and, and the last one is the economic itself. I mean, it's it's open question. There is no definitive answer how a stable unit can be superior than you know, anything else because like we, we cannot do magic. What the best we can do, we have a very open uh, like a workflow, like what current economy looks like. It's peer audited. There are a lot of people who come and say, you know, we have this issue, that issue. Everyone who can, you know, listen to this podcast and check mm -hmm. our uh, economy, if you have some thoughts, if you have some concerns, if you have some idea, don't hesitate just to go and uh, express it like in, in a chat because team is super open, DAO is super open to that. You're going to be remunerated like in, in form of a tokens and stuff like that. So it's a work in progress. But you have an auditor which specifically audits only the economy, the business solutions. We're like, uh, they don't even check the solidity code. They, they, they're extremely smart in what they're doing and combined with peer. And someone have a better idea how the economy might be like a further improved, further audited peer review. Please let me know, but we're trying mm -hmm. to just get the best practices we are aware. And we, we kind of like summarize our risk uh, perimeter, uh, which we... Uh, kind of like actively work to mitigate against potential attacks in this direction. I appreciate the, the depth of detail uh, into the risks. And uh, I think often that's something as we talk about crypto, we, we FOMO into a thing and like, oh, actually there's risks, what are those? <laughs> so that, you know, start with that, start with understanding the system. Um, I do have links down in the description below. If you're watching it afterwards, you can, you know, go ahead and you can find uh, links to the, to the website, to the StableDAO Twitter. Um, you know, I know we're, we're coming up on an hour and a half and I, I don't want to keep you guys here uh, too long, but perhaps, you know, before we close, if you could share like which chains are you launching on initially and uh, when is the launch happening? It's a tricky question because like we're currently closing round by the way, if someone watch want to invest, uh, go and chat as well, I think us, but uh, we will be technically, not we, but like reference implementation, technically going to be ready in the end of April, early May. Uh, to launch itself is a different matter because, like, uh, even the, you know, great technology might not be insufficient to satisfy the customer needs. And, like, you need to, you know, get a pool of these customers, which is, like, uh, critically big in order to self-sustain it. So it's 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 open question when it's going to be launched. It will depend on the market. But even how badly market right now with USDC and stuff like that, unfortunately, even though it's it's kind of like, you know, peer during the like a feast during the um, smallpox or whatever you call it in english like period of remission so the worst market is best for stable unit unfortunately so hopefully we will just you know don't see the big market crash but it's going to be connected how market behave ideally during the summer we will see system alive on a polygon and uh, we have uh, some kind of like early partnership, like uh, Hansi can speak more mm -hmm. about this BSDF development with our smart contract uh, supported chains, but uh, we have to start somewhere. It's going to be Polygon most likely, and we will go from there. For just a quick point, uh, I don't want to <laughs> obviously uh, overextend on your time as well, uh, but uh, uh, regarding BizDev, BizDev is something that we think is very important, especially for stablecoins go-to-market strategy. Because if you want people to use it, and this is a problem, although we said earlier, we, tar we want to be the, the biggest stablecoin in 10 years, like the stablecoin that is ready for in 10 years, sorry. 
we need to be ready also for DeFi users, and we need to get in the front and be there, uh, be available for DeFi user, crypto user, and NFT user, and all uh, the users of the, this industry. And to do so, business development is a great way because you're able to connect with other protocols, companies, and their communities. And their communities, you can become their stablecoin of choice. We know how strong sense of belonging can be for some crypto communities and NFT projects. So this is what we're trying to appeal. And we believe that our message is, isn't something uh, out of a movie dystopian. We're trying to build money that nobody can freeze. And right now, the majority can be frozen. So it's not some message that people can get against. And we're trying to rally the industry around us uh, for this reason. True business development, partially. I love it. You're, you're building money that nobody can freeze. I think that's a great tagline. Uh, before we before we close, is there anything else that we, we didn't cover uh, through the session that you'd like to talk about, like, you know, let people know about? I think there is one little thing. Uh, we have a side tool which called Safe Transfer. So turnouts were a very popular, not a popular, frequent problem, unfortunately, when people accidentally send money in a wrong address or a smart contract address, undeploy multi-sig, you know, high intermute and optimism, or uh, even uh, some, you know, different chains, which are a common problem. Turnout problem is such a ubiquitous, but like even like our small research show that at least $500 million were irrecoverably lost that way. And this is a lot, like half billion dollars, it's a lot of money, but possibly more because our research is very incomplete. So what we did, we did uh, during the hackathon um, a tool which called safetransfer.cash and it used properties of ERC20 token or uh, in the future it might use uh, NFT token. Basically, uh, all token standards already support by default approve and a transfer from logic. So instead of just sending money to someone and hope for a best, you know, what you didn't mistype, you know, or you send it on the wrong blockchain, instead of that, you just do normal ERC20 approve and send to recipient uh, a link to call a transfer from. You can even do without transfer from. You can just do it directly using Etherscan mm -hmm. if you savvy in, in smart contracts. So it doesn't use any smart contracts outside of existing, you know, ERC20. And what it helps you, if any problem whatsoever, accidentally you just, your control C did not work, you uh, mishear what blockchain you have to send it, et cetera, et cetera. You just cancel it, you just do revoke, that's it. There is no mm -hmm. risk. The only downside, you just pay like a little bit more gas because you have to do additional proof. But it's like, uh, when so if you send $1, it wouldn't make difference, but like you don't care about $1. What you care when you have a big transfers, like tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands and millions, which, you know, you really, really want to reach destination what you intend to. And we have a tool, you, you can check it out. I can send you right now like a couple of bucks so you can try it out. And this is great. A lot of people use it. A lot of like uh, DeFi acclaim, like a kind of DeFi leaders, or let's say like very distinguished DeFi builders, like um, approve it. Like you, you can check on the Twitter. And uh, if, you, if you want to save like uh, nerves when, when you transfer a large amount of money or you run a DAO, or you run a venture capital, you know, and you have to transfer like someone else money in a, in a big scale, uh, take a look. It actually will save you a lot, a lot of nerve cells because you cover completely here. And it's free and open source and will always be. Oh, yeah. You, you can even fork it. Like, uh, we, we, we do it. It's, it's kind of like a public good tool. Unfortunately, we weren't able in time to give it in a, a Gitcoin. And right now, Gitcoin only 
able to uh, support projects which previously were funded by the Bitcoin, so it's a limitation. But uh, it's completely free, open source, so please, please use it, tell friends, it's, uh, it's, it's great. Uh, Is this the, the one that you were talking about, uh, yeah. safetransfer.cash? Yes, yes, this one. And the UI yeah. that was provided by a new DAO member now. <laughs> oh yeah, I think it's, yeah, it was a peer-created uh, UI. Yeah. And um, it works with multisig. It takes a lot of time to make it work, and it works with different blockchain. Like uh, you, you can revoke using a revoke cache, also a great project, or you can uh, revoke. I, I can you can send me like your address, like uh, in, in a DM or even here. I can send you just a couple of bucks of like USDT or Dai uh, in any chain, and you can see yourself. So it's, it's very simple. Okay, that that's awesome. Definitely a, a much needed tool. And I'm, my my uh, way of doing this is send a few few dollars and then confirm that it got there and then send the full chunk to the same place. So. Unfortunately, it's not always work. I mean, the famous case of Wintermute and Optimist, we did exactly that. The send one dollar, confirm, and send twenty million dollar internet. Oh, sorry, multisig wasn't deployed. So it's uh, <laughs> it's it's it's, 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 it's <laughs> unfortunately send send and test test dollar is not always guarantees your problem because you have to do a second transaction and also you can receive a dust transaction someone can send you like you know uh, there is a common dust attack when you receive some epsilon amount of money like one cent and you just get spam on that in hope that you accidentally gonna reply to this transaction and send money mm-hmm. but it's actually attacker not your counterparty so uh, one mm-hmm. dollar is might be risky actually yeah, Ethereum truly is the dark forest, um, a very, very scary place out there. Uh, so, uh, Alex, Hamza, thank, thank you so much for, for joining. I appreciate the depth of the explanation. Um, you know, I know that uh, for some folks it might be a little bit technical, but I think as we dig into stable coins, like it truly is the, the future of our sovereignty and we need to get it right. Uh, and, you know, we had an experience of Terra Luna getting it wrong. A lot of people got hurt. And, and so now we're, we're trying to, you know, all push in the right direction. Uh, to folks who are in chat, uh, thank you. I appreciate you. I appreciate all, all the questions and, uh, you know, the engagement that you had. Uh, if you enjoy conversations like this, so we, we, we tend to get deep into projects. Um, we tend to uh, go and, and have, you know, founders talk about the technical details and, and really understand what it's all about. Please like, subscribe, do all the YouTube things. Uh, really appreciate your support for that. Um, and uh, Hamza and Alex, I hope that we'll have a chance to chat again soon. Thank you very much, Vanessa. Thank you for hosting and inviting thank us. You. It was a wonderful occasion. Okay, awesome.